You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. excited about the 12th of December? Not particularly. The time for protest is over. It's time for leadership. And that is what this government provides. In every town and village in this country, Labour will be there giving a message of real hope where this government offers nothing. People have a very clear choice. If they want Brexit, they can vote for Labour or the Conservatives of the Brexit Party. And if they want to stop Brexit, they need to vote for the Liberal Democrats. Hello, you're listening to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Sebastian Salik. And a very good afternoon. I'm Caroline Hepke. So all the big manifestos are out. So now we can really compare and contrast what is on offer. The bottom line is everybody wants to spend more. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, interesting one, though, from the Conservatives that we had yesterday. And it is a key point of the campaign, really. We're about halfway through. The picture is starting to solidify, certainly in terms of the polling as well. And we'll get into that right now, in fact, because we have that latest load of weekend polls. Uh, another Monday today. Let's get right through them. Bloomberg's Ewan Potts joins us. Uh, Ewan, talk us through those top numbers we had from, from the papers and elsewhere yesterday. Yeah, we've had the manifestos. We've had the uh, BBC TV debate two hours. Did you both sit through it? I hope so. Uh, four million people apparently watched that debate. Uh, we wonder if any of them were undecided. Anyway, so we get to the polling. So the Bloomberg five poll average, our gold standard of polling, uh, has the Conservatives on 43, Labour on 30, the Lib Dems on 15, Brexit on three, Greens on three and the S&P on four. Now, looking at the change on a week ago, the Conservatives are up a point, uh, the Liberal Democrats up a point and Brexit down three. Now, this partly reflects the fact that all the pollsters now are adjusting for the fact that Brexit aren't standing uh, in all the seats across the country. So that's really coming through uh, in the polls now. And that translates into a Conservative lead of about 13.5%. That's been uh, ticking up over the past couple of weeks. And a quick look at the uh, Sporting Index uh, seats market. Uh, Conservatives on 348 seats, uh, Labour 207, and the Lib Dems on 25. That's ticked down uh, a bit over the weekend. That means a Conservative majority of about 50, according to that market. Yeah, I mean, that would be a very, very good showing, obviously, uh, for the Tories. And then actually you would end up with Labour having fewer seats than they do now, which would be also be quite a significant change, wouldn't it, uh, in terms of those polling figures. But then there's also, um, you and the Sunday Times commissioning um, a Scottish poll. We don't get so many of those. So what did you glean from that? No, very interesting. This is actually the first uh, poll, first full Scottish poll since the election campaign uh, started. Uh, pretty uh, bad news for Labour. The 
S&P look like they're on course to be a clear winner. Their, their votes are rising from 37 to 40% since the last election. That could mean, according to John Curtis, them gaining about six seats, taking them to 41. The Lib Dems could be in for a cheeky uh, win in North East Fife, the most marginal seat in the United Kingdom. Uh, they lost that by two votes uh, to the SNP uh, last time. Uh, and uh, the uh, Brexit party uh, looks like their uh, vote share will be going down. The Conservative vote holding up quite nicely for them, uh, up at around 28%. That's about the same as they got in the last election. That will uh, surprise some people. There have been talk of uh, uh, bad news for Boris Johnson north of the border. According to this poll, uh, Boris Johnson could hold uh, uh, 12 of his 13 uh, seats. That would be a pretty uh, decent result for the Conservatives. So on the whole then, how bad is this for Labour? Because you were saying it's not looking good in Scotland. There's still that solid Tory lead nationally. And there were so many Labour supporters before the campaign started saying, bring it on. We always see this move behind the two big parties. We're going to close the gap like we did in 2017. And so far... It just hasn't happened. So far, it doesn't look like it's happening, does it? We've had uh, the manifesto launching. We've had the debate. Some of these key points which could have uh, moved the dial. And so far, it doesn't look like it. Just uh, uh, focusing in on that poll in Scotland. Pretty bad news for Labour. It looks like uh, their vote uh, is collapsing from the 2017 general election. They got 27 points uh, uh, back then. 20% in this latest poll. And that could see them lose all but one of their seven seats, holding just uh, Edinburgh South, uh, ironically uh, held by Corbyn's arch-critic, uh, Ian uh, Murray. So that would be the same kind of wipeout they faced in the 2015 general election. So that's uh, uh, looks like not very good news uh, for Labour in Scotland. You remember, of course, a few years ago, Scotland uh, Labour was the only game in town in Scotland. But those days don't uh, seem to be coming back. Yeah, absolutely. 17 days to go until uh, actually we cast our votes, unless, of course, you're going to vote by postal ballot. Uh, opinion also has perhaps the most striking view, 19-point lead for the Tories. But how much should we really read into that? Yeah, this is a poll for The Observer. It's the biggest uh, Tory lead of any opinion poll uh, during the campaign. Any, any opinion poll going back to at least the beginning of October, as you say, 19-point lead uh, over Labour. The same poll uh, a week ago had uh, the Tory lead at 16 points. Uh, and again, they've now adjusted for the Brexit party not standing uh, everywhere in the country. So this is a pretty hefty lead. Uh, we don't want to take uh, too much notice of one single poll. It could be an outlier, uh, or perhaps they may not be the one that's correct. We've seen so much uh, uh, dodgy polling over the years. A little bit tricky to tell. It's nice to take uh, the average, but certainly this is a pretty hefty lead for the Tories. I just want to talk about uh, a bit of uh, research from uh, data Praxis, interesting uh, survey they put out called Seven Seats That Could Change Britain. I think it's a little bit grandly titled, but it's talking about uh, some of the big names who could uh, lose their seats uh, in the event of tactical voting, including Dominic Raad, Ian Duncan Smith uh, and a certain uh, Boris Johnson. Uh, it says that all these seats could be vulnerable if, uh, if voters uh, gang up and decide uh, to try and oust their MPs. Uh, Boris Johnson himself, he got 51% last time, so there's not really enough uh, opposition vote to squeeze. So I think that looks... Not particularly likely. Uh, pretty bad news for Zach Goldsmith from Richmond Park. They, they reckon he's 20 points behind the Lib Dems. Oh, he's been in and out, hasn't he, Zach? He knows not to look too faithfully <laughs> onto his voting base because they're not particularly faithful. They can be pretty shrewd down in Richmond. Yeah, no, absolutely. But look, I think the that, that research into those um, sort of big players is really interesting because they are such well-known names and obviously they include the Prime Minister, you know. So um, it's really going to be a sort of... Uh, 
a, a battle right to the very last day in terms of this uh, election bid. I mean, they're big names in Duncan Smith, former leader, former Tory party leader and, and obviously the PM, etc. Thank you so much for joining us. That's Bloomberg's Ewan Potts there on a Monday with all the uh, polls to watch. So thank you for joining us. Right. Let's get out to the campaign trail, shall we? Bloomberg's Kitty Donaldson, our UK government reporter, is out there. Uh, Kitty, t- tell us what you've been up to. And also looking at this polling, it seems like it seems a pretty fail-safe strategy for Boris Johnson to announce this level of uh, of manifesto that seems to play things pretty safely. Yes, he, he does look pretty safe at the moment. But as your previous discussion indicated, I don't think we should necessarily move to uh, read too much into the polls. Um, you're right. I've been out and about. Um, I went up to Newcastle under Lyme, which is in the in Staffordshire near the Midlands uh, last week. Um, and the reason I went there is because we're we're looking at these so-called red wall seats. Um, they're the block of traditional Labour seats in the Midlands and the North. They've been Labour for generations, and the idea of these places, which include Bolsover, Bishop Auckland, and Ashfield, uh, voting Tory was once unthinkable. But the combination of Brexit and Jeremy Corbyn, not the most popular leader, has led the Conservatives to believe that these seats are within reach. Oh, OK. So what are voters then saying on the campaign trail? Give us a flavour. What have you gleaned from, from voters? Well, the anti-Semitism row surrounding rapists playing quite hard. People are, are disgusted by it. Um, but also Brexit. People don't understand the Labour position. They just... This Tory slogan of get Brexit done is playing out quite well. Um, I think because everyone's just so fed up with Brexit. It's been going on for so long now. Um, um, and I include myself in that, to be honest. <laughs> um, uh, the, the voters are just saying, you know, come on, just get on with it. And, you know, actually, we don't really care anymore. So the idea of Labour, you know, going into another negotiation with, with the EU and then having another referendum on it is just sort of anathema to quite a lot of people. And also... Uh, Corbyn himself, up in sort of in Newcastle, which is a former sort of mining, um, the mining villages in the, in the constituency, and also the potteries are up there. Um, former kind of Labour heartland. They don't like Jeremy Corbyn. They they see him as a sort of metropolitan, um, what's the word, intellectual, I suppose, and and not a sort of proper working class kind of leader. So those places where we could see the Tories coming in, in former Labour heartlands, is this more due to mm. vote splitting? Because it's hard to believe they would go to the Tories en masse, given that they've culturally been so opposed to it for a long time. Is it the case of them moving away from Labour, perhaps to the Brexit party, and then the Tories getting in on a much, much lower vote share? Um, yes. <laughs> well, the, the 50 most marginal Labour seats of the Tories, 35 of them voted with um, a majority to leave, to leave the EU. Um, well, two-thirds of all the Midlands um, of the seats the Tories need to pick up in order to get a majority are disproportionately located in the north of England and the Midlands. And they're, they're the ones that most might, most are much more likely to have voted leave rather than remain. Um, and the reasons why places like Workington and Bishop Auckland are now marginal seats is because there was a swing to the Tories in 2017 against the national trend. Um, and the Tories did very well in the most pro-leave parts of the country, as you'd expect. Um, and they might gain a few more votes in these places, but also they might, you know, people might vote Lib Dem, which would split the Labour vote, probably. And therefore the Tories, just by staying still, hold on to these seats. Um, so yes, you're right, tactical voting is, is, is an issue in these areas. 
What about the TV appearances of the leaders and the manifestos that we've had out now? Do, do people read those? Are they interested in the big uh, pledges that have been made? I noticed, for example, NHS nurses uh, that, that Boris Johnson has pledged 50,000 of those. But actually, a bit mm. of that really sort of unravelling because it includes some people already working within the NHS. So are, are voters paying attention to those details? That's a really good question, and I don't know the answer. I, I guess voters pay attention to the headline um, details, and that's why Tony Blair's um, five pledges on a credit card style um, manifesto was, so, was such a good idea back in the day. Um, the Labour manifesto, you know, as long as you're armed, I, I don't know how many people are going to read it unless they're kind of political mm. geeks like like us. Um, <laughs> the, 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 yes, the Tories, you know, it may be unravelling today, but then who's, you know, unless you're a nurse or want to be a nurse, I don't know whether you're paying that level of attention to yeah. to Tory plans. And, and maybe it sort of works into your unconscious bias already. If, if you if you don't like the Tories, you might pay more attention to 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 right. things unravelling rather than if you if you kind of like, oh, well, the Tories are okay anyway. Success is more than a destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's dedication, it's fortitude, and it's the work, passion, and grit inside of us that comes before all recognition. That's what Stiefel has been doing for over 130 years, and it's why Stiefel is one of the fastest-growing wealth management firms in the country. And Stiefel goes beyond traditional wealth management to offer you a full suite of banking services, direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises, and a leading middle market investment bank. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel has built a company and culture unlike any firm on Wall Street. Because success is the drive it takes to keep pushing. It's the passion to keep investing. It's the best of each of us, made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Find a financial advisor at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel, Nicholas & Company, Incorporated. Member SIPC and NYSE. Let's have a look at what else is making news in the world of politics. Yeah, indeed. So this is Labour and Housing. Uh, They're focusing on that today, setting out a new charter of renters' rights. So this includes a manifesto pledge to cap rent increases at inflation, new open-ended or indefinite tenancies, and also the introduction of a new property MOT, so basically an annual inspection required of landlords to ensure that properties uh, that they're renting out actually meet standards so much uh, you know, tougher rules, uh, you know, in order to help renters. I mean, very difficult given, you know, the housing shortage in the UK. Yeah, and it's certainly something that's very targeted towards the typical Labour voter base, yeah. many of them likely to be renters. And I, I would expect this to see this polling quite well within focus groups, etc., uh, just like many of the other Labour policies have. The issues, it seems, for the party are elsewhere in presentation, etc. We can get into that. Um, I'm looking at the Liberal Democrats, the Foreign Affairs spokesman, as he is, Choko Munna, giving a speech in Watford this morning. Uh, last week, we heard Lib Dem voices, uh, the likes of the leader and deputy leader, indicating they now expect a Tory majority, a big shift in the rhetoric from the party. Omuna now setting out the party's new ambitions, namely reducing the numbers of Conservative MPs. He says the Lib Dems have a vital, decisive role to play because only they can take seats, he says, from the Tories in significant numbers. So it feels a lot like the 2010 dynamic yeah. where the Lib Dems eating into the Conservative vote, potentially setting themselves up to be kingmakers again, rather than that whole Joe Swinson can be PM line that we heard just a couple of weeks ago. Look, as a 
swift bounce uh, back to really earth, is. isn't it, for the Lib Dems? I mean, from very, very high ambitions. Um, look, there's also one other story to mention. Grime for Corbyn. Uh, now, they've made an unexpected comeback and they have endorsed Labour for a second consecutive election. That follows fears that the campaign wouldn't return after the 2017 vote. So, of course, this was, you know, youth vote, the uh, social media online reach of Labour that, you know, we talked about so much in the last election. But actually, if you look into the specifics, acts such as AJ Tracy have confirmed that they will not be voting for Labour in December, while JME, who interviewed Mr Corbyn, has yet to voice support. So, you know, a mixed bag still mm. in terms of uh, in terms of that. Great interview at the last election. And yeah. also, it's something we've talked about on the podcast or on the, on the programme before, uh, because these people haven't come out yet. They have now, clearly. Uh, but there were some concerns that the fad had passed and it was all just a bit of fun getting on board with Jeremy Corbyn in 2017. And we weren't going to see it again. We've seen something resembling last time whether it'll have the same oomph remains to be seen yeah absolutely uh right let's bring in our guest this hour chris hanretti who is a consultant for Servation. great to have you on the program um look we've had out the main manifestos now uh you know the ability to compare what she, what each of the parties is offering what do you think the main themes are that you would take away from uh from the details i think some of the main themes probably <laughs> I think one of them is certainly Brexit, and that's obviously an issue where the Conservative Party thinks that it has a very, very clear appeal that's going to cut through and is memorable for voters. Um, I think one of the other themes is probably you know, health and everything that, that Labour is doing in order to maybe not shift the focus away from Brexit, but get people thinking in terms of, of other factors that might play into their voting decision. Yeah. So something that Labour might really be looking for now would be some horrible stories about accident and emergency departments at hospitals being jammed up, winter overload in the NHS, anything on the domestic side of things that can drag the attention away from Brexit now that the party's main policy offers are out there. So do you think as we stand now, enough has happened so that we can no longer call this a Brexit election? Or are you very much looking at the remaining two and a half weeks of the campaign? I mean, I think it's it's still a Brexit election and people will still regularly cite that as the most important issue for the country. There are some wrinkles around that. So in terms of the most important issue question, a lot of it depends on how you phrase the question. If you ask people, what's the most important issue facing the country? Brexit comes out as a, a clear number one. If you shift it around slightly, what's the most important issue facing you and your family? You get a mix of issues. Brexit is certainly still in the mix, but you start to see more concerns about employment healthcare, other things like that. And surely that's the sort of thing that people vote based on. It's what's important to them. It it can be, but people's answers to that questions reflect a a a grab bag of motivation. So if if you've got someone who is a committed Labour voter or a committed Conservative voter, maybe their commitment to the Conservative Party precedes what they think of as the most important issue. They see the Conservatives talking about X, suddenly, for them, X becomes the most important issue. Mm, Okay. Um, Look, we're also speaking to you, obviously, because you're a politics professor as well as your work with Servation. And um, so you've got a lot of kind of detailed knowledge. And one thing that you have been flagging to us is there are still 17 days to go and a great deal can happen between now and election day. What do you mean by that? What are the big risks? Uh, You know, a lot of pollsters increasingly now uh, you know, conservative small c in terms of their predictions because we've had such an unpredictable sort of four or five years previously. 
Yeah, I mean, polling only ever tries to say what opinion is like today. It's not necessarily a guide to what opinion will be like in 17 days' time, particularly in the context of a rapidly changing news environment and also a political environment where people's vote choices are more likely to shift election to election. So if you're thinking about... Um, that's let's say those Labour voters in the red wall, yeah. historically Labour areas, and you're projecting that onto the voters. You know, that's an an idea of voting that goes back to the 60s and 70s. You know, voters today are much more likely to switch between parties, even you know in this uh, jam-packed sequence of elections, 15 to 16, 16 to 17, 17 now to 19. So the the, the political environment is very volatile. And that means that you know today's opinion might be a poor guide to what happens tomorrow. And looking at the polls, as we were talking about earlier, there's a strong Conservative lead in the majority of them. There's also a, a fair amount of don't knows. It, are they going to be enough if they start to wander towards Labour? Are they going to be enough to close the gap significantly? They might be enough, I think, to start causing Conservatives to, to become a little bit more anxious. Um, in terms of their past voting behaviour and some of their demographic characteristics, they don't know they look a bit labour-y. Mm. Um, in 2017, the don't knows tended slightly to break more for labour. That was uh-huh. a change to previous years where don't knows mostly resembled the general population. So that, I think, will be the, the concern from Conservatives and the reason why they'll be trying to downplay some of their polling leads. And how can you tell that the don't knows are labour Is that just based on 2017? It's based on, on past vote data. Right, right. So it, it, the archetypal case would be someone who you know, voted Labour in, in 2017 and you know because you've asked them. And then when it comes to well, how you vote in uh-huh. the, the election that's mm-hmm. coming up, then they back away a little bit. OK, um, I just want to bring in this from the former uh, Prime Minister, Tony Blair. He gave a speech in London uh, earlier. Um, he talked generally about politics being in a mess, but also raising this issue about it actually being very um, constituency based. 650 mini elections was his term. Have a listen to Tony Blair. Our politics, therefore, is utterly dysfunctional. Both parties want to win on the basis that whatever you dislike of what they're offering, the alternative is worse. Right, so Tony Blair summing it up there. Uh, you know, you're voting for the least worst option. Is that very much what you think voters uh, feel? And is this also why it's such a changeable electorate? Because, you know, you're, you're basing on what might be the least worst option? Yeah, I mean, far fewer people nowadays identify with a political party. They've got a new source of political identity in the referendum vote. But particularly if you're a Remainer, that referendum vote doesn't map onto a unique party. Are you going to vote Labour? Are you going to vote Lib Dem? The answer may well depend on who's stronger in your constituency, and that's really difficult to gauge. And in terms of polling, you've done a lot of work around MRP, multi-level regression and post-stratification. Mm. Just talk us through very quickly in broad terms how that differs to, to, to other methods and how it's so useful for this election in particular. So MRP starts by taking much larger sample than the ordinary national samples you'd see of between 1,000 and 2,000 voters. And it works to try and predict how voters are going to vote on the basis of their characteristics. So let's say um, we had good information on whether each respondent in our national sample listened to Bloomberg or not. Mm. So we could take that information and we could estimate a model and we could say, well, Bloomberg listeners have this kind of predicted probability of voting for each of the parties and everyone else this probability. What we can then do 
is we can go constituency by constituency. And if we had really good numbers on, you know, the Bloomberg listeners, the numbers in each constituency, we could add up all of those predictions and come to some kind of constituency by constituency estimate of how people were going to vote. In practice, it works differently. It works on the basis of some demographic variables, but also people's past political choices in the referendum. So it's more data points and better quality data and a larger sample size, which you think is a better predictor than simple polling? It's that combination of more data and marrying that with the information that we have on the numbers of different voter types at the constituency level. Some of it coming from the census, some of it coming from past election results. And does that get us any closer to all the constituencies where you have independents running, for example, and there might be uh, former members of other parties and high profile people, but they're up against uh, strongholds of other parties, if you see what I mean? They are the most difficult case for mm. an MRP model. The way MRP works is by exploiting commonalities between right, people. Right. You know, um, People with university degrees are going to be pushed to vote one way in one constituency and you expect the same effect elsewhere. For the other candidates, you know, there, there's nothing tying them together. Some of them might be ex-conservative, some might be ex-labor. So for those kind of um, constituency contests, you're relying probably on, on a slightly greater sample drawn from that constituency. And there is room in the model for kind of constituency specific effects, but that is the, the kind of the worst possible contest to be analyzing. Bloomberg Westminster, listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. What could you do if your data was working for you? and not against you. With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com enterprise data to learn more.